This is an ABC podcast. Hey, podcast friend, over the next six shows, we are dipping into some of the science friction editions you most responded to this year. And so today we're getting inked with a mummy. If you have a thing for tattoos, you will know this sound. Okay, 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 we've got it. And besides the tattoos we are talking about today, well, they were done with bones or thorns or fish teeth, not with motorised needles. That's just way too modern. Hi, Natasha Mitchell with Science Friction. And over the next few weeks on RN, a chance to catch some of your and our favourite shows from the year, kicking off with an ancient art. So prepare for an encounter with a self-experimenting archaeologist. And in the name of science... There's only one way to test that. You became the guinea pig. I I figured I couldn't ask anybody to do it if I wasn't willing to do it myself. (laughs) We're unearthing the secrets of ancient flesh in this episode. It's art, archaeology and ancient ink. And if you think your tattoos will look a little bit average when your skin sags decades from now, imagine what they'll look like in thousands of years first mummified, well, the first tattooed body we found, you could see the tattoos as you were excavating. Mm. And I went, whoa, (laughs) this is amazing. You can see them there, their little little marks on the skin. It was very clear to us that this woman was heavily tattooed all across her pelvis and her abdomen. We could see these blue tattoo marks, these dots and these dashes. It was quite a surprise. And the surprises keep coming because archaeologists like Renee Friedman are now starting to see what they've once been blind to. Two of the world's oldest tattoos have just been discovered by Renee on five and a half thousand year old Egyptian mummies. And how she found them, as we'll hear today, is almost a fluke. If we think about today, though, many of us get tattoos as more of a kind of personal or aesthetic ritual rather than a culturally mandated one. We have this tradition in which we can walk into any shop anywhere in the world. Prehistoric archaeologist Aaron Dita Wolf is co-author of Ancient Ink, the archaeology of tattooing. We live in this consumer economy. We can pick off the wall or bring in a drawing of what we want to do, and we can have whatever we want tattooed wherever we want on our body mm. by all kinds of talented artists. Permanent body modification is a commitment. I haven't been brave enough to get a tattoo. <laughs> and when you consider that five and a half thousand years ago, it might have been also a death sentence. You know, There were no antibiotics if you got an infection. These tattoos are, are quite remarkable. And instead, these tattoos were something that were mandated by their societies. They were marks that people aspired to, both because they marked them as being living members of the society and because oftentimes they then carried these deep spiritual significance to them. And so there's many traditions around the world where people are tattooed with images of animals. But rather than these animals simply being showpieces, right? Hey, look at me. I've got a ram on my bicep. I'm super cool. Well, instead, the tattooing of animal imagery onto the body was intended to grant that individual attributes of those animals. It was a magical process. It captured the spiritual essence of those animist forces and lent it to the person. So it wasn't just what you did after a few beers and before a curry. (laughs) 
Dr Renee Friedman has one hell of a day job. When I got there, it was like coming home. And it just speaks to me. It's just so rich. It's just so, got so much to tell us. 35 years ago, she arrived at the excavation site of an incredible pre-dynastic city, one of Egypt's largest on the edge of the Nile from the time before the first pharaoh. I just went for a visit for a few hours and I couldn't leave and I haven't been able to leave since. And over the last two decades, Renee has directed the Hierakompolis expedition at the site. It's all subsurface. You see nothing. Wow. Well, what we, you see what we call negative features. So you see holes in the ground, but within imagination, you can rebuild it. It's incredible, isn't it? But it was in another great historical city that Renee recently made a mind-blowing discovery inside London's British Museum using a handheld infrared camera. People use that for uh, wildlife photography. And I just started looking at everything through it and seeing amazing things. Since I, at the time I was working at the British Museum, I said, hmm, let me try my little camera here. <laughs> and I was astounded. The problem has been that infrared radiation is heat radiation. And so it's very difficult in an archaeological setting to properly image the mummies without simultaneously cooking them, mm, which is not good. Bad, so, bad science, right? No one wants no one wants to cook the mummy. And what has happened recently is we're now into the era of digital infrared with LEDs that can generate digital wavelengths and digital cameras that can record them. And it's a completely non-destructive process now. It's not dependent on heat anymore. And so now we have the ability to carry a point and shoot infrared camera into, for example, a museum gallery and with the stroke of a button change our understanding about the practice of tattooing in, say, ancient Egypt. Which is just what Renee's done. Five and a half thousand year old mummies, Jebeline man and Jebeline woman, have been on public display in the British Museum ever since they were excavated back in 1899 from a site actually not far from Hierakonpolis in Egypt. And this site was heavily mined by the antiquities trade at the turn of the century. When it became fashionable to have a pre-dynastic mummy, museum curators put out the word, I want one. The locals would go and dig one up for them. And that's how Jebelane man and woman were found. What do they look like? Describe them for us. They're all naturally mummified, so it's the hot, salty soil has just desiccated them. They look like dried-out people. And they're tucked up tightly in the fetal position they're found in, their skin tight and taut, but completely intact. Their hands are up shielding their face. But in Renee's hand was that infrared camera. Well, I pointed it at the female mummy, and then immediately on her right shoulder, I could see three little S marks. And I went, hmm, is that some sort of museum coding? You know, so I turned on the lights and I can't see anything on the skin. I mean, you literally could not see it with the naked eye. And then I looked at it again and then I looked at more of her and then I could see another tattoo on her lower on her right arm. And I went, oh, my goodness, that you could barely see is just slightly green under um, natural lighting. But it's just so clear under the infrared. It was either a staff or a musical clapper that they used to beat out time when they were doing ritual dances. 
And as she the, moves, so do the tattooed motives. So maybe that kind of action exactly. connection is exactly. relevant. Yeah, that she's in fact beating together the, the clappers, making the ritual noise with every movement of her arm. Now seeing it used in tattoos may help us get closer to what this might mean. It gives us a whole new medium for exploring the motifs used in the pre-dynastic period. The finding on Jebeline Woman was exciting enough. But then Renee pointed the camera at Jebeline Man. I had was having a look at him and I said, hmm, there's a smudge on his right arm. I wonder what that is. We had believed that only females were tattooed. I really didn't expect anything. And even through the glass, in the case, in the gallery, these two animals on his right upper arm just jumped out at me. And I went, oh my goodness, that was a real surprise. That was a, a jump up and down moment. These singular tattoos on this male mummy are a paradigm shifter in our understanding of ancient Egypt and human history, as we'll hear. In 2012, they'd also used CT scans to make another surprising discovery about Jebeline Mann, that he'd been murdered, stabbed in the back. This guy is getting more and more interesting all the time. The desire to decorate the body, it implies that there is complex symbolism, it implies the presence of language, And it implies a social network in which people have value in appearing other than how they are naturally. So your own natural body is no longer good enough. Instead, people are choosing to decorate their bodies with drilled shells and earth pigments and potentially with tattoos. And the reason we would do that as a a species is to improve our standing, right? To show people how we want to be perceived. It's the same reason that people put on tattoos today or the same reason that we style our hair the way we do or wear the clothes the way we do, right? We're dressing up because it makes us feel good, but also because of how it presents us to the world around us. And so that, that suite of things suggests to us that these are what we call behaviorally modern humans. How much of a rarity are archaeological specimens of actual tattoos on actual skin? You know, finding bones is one thing. We're talking about ink on skin here. Skin is soft tissue. It's not easy archaeological evidence. Right. So first you have to have a mummy. You have to have a preserved mummy. And that preserved mummy has to have some or all of its dermal and epidermal tissue intact. And then that tissue has to be visible. So if the mummy is wrapped up in a bundle or contained within a sarcophagus, you're not going to have access to it to see that skin to begin with. And then there's the environmental factors. As as skin is exposed to the elements in these very arid conditions where very cold conditions where mummy, mummies tend to form, the skin darkens naturally. And so oftentimes the tattoos on the skin will become invisible to the naked eye. But thanks to the all-seeing digital infrared camera, the tattoos on Jebeline Man now have a new story to tell. One was a Barbary sheep and the other is probably a wild bull which long was a symbol of virility for, and you know, bravery in ancient Egypt. The king was considered to be the wild bull, showing strength, 
because these these wild bulls, these wild cattle, are like three times bigger than domestic cattle. They were animals you really didn't want to mess with. So to be able to bring one of those down was a real show of strength. Yes, I can't imagine a, a young fella getting a tattoo of a sheep on his arm right now, <laughs> unless he's a shepherd well, and a hipster with you know shepherd tendencies in the 21st century. Well, these Barbary sheep are, are not small. So again, they may have been a symbol of being a good hunter, of being able to be unseen and very deft in getting through the desert landscape. So as we've heard so far on Science Friction, these mummies had been on public display for more than a century before a curious mind and the right technology revealed their tats. But there is another reason for why archaeologists turn a blind eye to ancient tattoos, and it really riles Arundita Wolf. I think we have a very sanitised view of the bodies of people who lived in the past. What I realised was that this was wrong and that we were missing this whole segment of ancient people's lives. In a lot of places around the globe, it was ignored because it was one of the essential traits of indigenous cultures. So in the process of forced acculturation, in the process of traditions that are lost to disease and to adoption of new religions, one of the early things to go is body decoration. They start covering up their bodies in different ways than they've done in the past. And those traditional forms of self-identity very quickly disappear. It's our reading of tattoos, the Victorian reading of tattoos, that only the lower classes or the people of ill repute were tattooed. And that has fed into how we interpreted the ancient record. It's the other way around. I think it's the people that tattooing was a real sign of status, of knowledge, of piety. There's a variety of reasons why people may have been tattooed in ancient times. But you know, for a scientist with a 21st century mindset, getting at those reasons is a real puzzle. So now let's head across the sands and the seas from Egypt to the Alps at the border of Italy and Austria because this is where the oldest tattooed mummy was found, the Iceman, Utsi. And Utsi, he is one very painted fella. He is indeed. He was shot in the back with a stone-tipped arrow about 3200 BC and died there in this glacial valley. He was covered over by the glacial ice sheets. He is the most studied ancient human on Earth. We've sequenced his entire genome, what the contents of his last meal were by sampling his stomach. They know that he had Lyme disease. They know about the ailments that he suffered from his, his various forms of arthritis. And one of the many things that we know about Otzi is that he had 61 groups of tattoos on his body groups of parallel lines, and in a couple cases, small crosses. And they seem to show up mostly along his joints, along his spine, and in the case of the longest of the two marks, on his left wrist. The initial investigators studying Utsi came up with this hypothesis where they recognized that a number of his marks seem to correspond to traditional acupuncture meridians. And furthermore, by, by x-raying and examining his body, they recognized that a number of the locations close to where he had had tattoos are locations where he suffered from very bad arthritis. 
So for example, in his knees and his ankles. And so to their mind, this, this reinforced the idea that perhaps these tattoos were applied as a medicinal or a therapeutic practice. Well, not all of his tattoos are near these ailments. And particularly the ones on his wrist, I find very interesting because there's no evidence that he suffered from any sort of ailment in that wrist. That suggests to me that these may be a mix of things or may in fact be something entirely different. Jebeline man and woman now join Otzi as the world's oldest tattooed mummies found so far. In fact, they all lived around the same time, though in very different cultures and locations, but all using tats, and that's interesting. But the other reason Renee's finding on Jebeline man is so significant is that archaeologists have thought men in ancient Egypt weren't tattooed at all. The only evidence was on female mummies or artistic representations of women. It was thought that... Either this was for fertility purposes, that these women were either body painted or tattooed to increase their fertility. More recently, it's been thought that these were priestesses, that they were channeling the different gods by the images painted on their bodies. And now Renee has discovered this tattooed man from the pre-dynastic period, and so that totally changes our interpretation of who was tattooed and potentially why. And beyond ancient Egypt, there are further clues about the different significance of tattoos on men and women. Women will oftentimes uh, receive tattoos over the course of their lives as they reach maturity and then as they become pregnant, as they give birth, as they have children. Men, on the other hand, are oftentimes awarded tattoos based on actions and particularly based on acts of valor. And so their tattoos accumulate over their lifetime as they achieve specific feats or as they accomplish specific things. And so there is this difference between how and why men and women are tattooed. Yes, it's interesting that a lot of the symbols of, uh, on women have been interpreted as relating to fertility. And those symbols on men are relating to actions and valour. And I guess it could be argued that the ultimate act of valour is to have a child. It is. <laughs> it takes a, it's a mean feat to grunt out a human. That's um, right. And for a long time, all sorts of assumptions were made about the archaeological evidence of Egypt's tattooed ladies. Because they're placed particularly in the area of the breasts and the pelvis, they were thought these were for erotic purposes. This was a way of, you know, you know, these were dancing girls and they were tattooed for erotic purposes. Modern interpretations have looked back at this history and are starting to reevaluate that already and say, well, perhaps this is not the case. Right? Perhaps these tattoos have something else to do with magic, with fertility, with their ability to perform rituals, marking them as being these, these important women in their society. It's not the nubile young things that are tattooed. It's these older women who have special clothing on, and they were probably the wise women of the community. The women and the tattoos were there to show their initiation into cult practices, their knowledge of medicine. It wasn't meant just for the gratification of men. 
Well, that's something, isn't it? The evidence of ancient tattoos doesn't just come from intact mummies, though. Just this week, Aaron Dieter Wolf and a colleague presented a new intriguing finding at the Society for American Archaeology, what they think could be one of the oldest tattoo kits in the world. So a collection of artefacts from an ancient Native American site in his state of Tennessee, carbon dated to around 3300 BC. And the thing is, how do you work out something was used for tattooing. These tools are made out of all different kinds of materials, right? They might be lemon thorns, very small pieces of uh, fish teeth or fish scales or very small animal bones. Or they might be these very formal, significant tools like you find in New Zealand and a lot of the Pacific Rim. But in a lot of other places, when you have a long, for example, sharp bone tool, it could be for leatherworking, it could be for making basketry, it could be for holding up hair, it could be for tattooing. It could be And so we've anything. been trying, it could be anything. And, and the problem is that once archeologists call it something, call it a leatherworking all and put it into your collection, it is likely to be that thing you called it forever. And so there's this possibility that we're biasing the archaeological record with our interpretations. And Aaron Dieter Wolf, being the intrepid archaeologist he is, is hell-bent on challenging that bias. So much so, he's put himself and his own skin on the line. So when doing what we call experimental archaeology, right? Experimental archaeology is the process where you, you actually make or use a tool as they would have in the ancient past and better to, in order to better understand how it was made and how it was used and to learn about that, both the thought process involved and about the physical process involved. And so what we started doing was there have been useware studies. Useware is the idea that when you use a tool for something, it develops these microscopic traces. Mm. And so, for example, we know what the useware signature of using a bone to punch leather looks like. But until recently, no one had looked at what is the microscopic useware signature of using a bone tool to tattoo human skin. This was the experimental path that we started down, and it sort of became a rabbit hole, right? <laughs> Each one of our sets of experiments involved making these bone tools using authentic ancient technologies. So taking deer bones and splitting them using stone tools and whittling them down and sharpening them using different grades of stone abraders until you end up with these very sharp deer bone implements. First, they tattooed pig skin with the tools. You might have seen that on crime shows. Pig carcasses are often a proxy for the human body in forensic science. And surprise, surprise, what it looks like is shallowly piercing fresh or wet hide, which is pretty much what our skin is, right? It's fresh or wet hide. But then how do we know that tattooing dead pig skin and tattooing live human skin will result in the same product? And in the name of science... There's only one way to test that. You became the guinea pig. I, I figured I couldn't ask anybody to do it if I wasn't willing to do it myself. <laughs> and so we, uh, we made a series of bone tools and did an experiment in which we tattooed identical lines and patterns on myself and several other very brave volunteers. And it turns out that, that yes, pig skin's an excellent stand-in for human skin. Even dead pig and live human result in very much the same use wear pattern. And on your wrist, 
and on my wrist. So what I chose to do was to put the two tattooed lines that match the tattoos of Utzi the Iceman. He has two parallel lines running around his left wrist as well. And so I figured in the name of science and as a tribute to Utzi, we might as well go ahead and do that. That's a real commitment to the cause, isn't it? I love that. And check out the photos of Aaron's tats, along with Jebelaine Man and Woman on the Science Friction website. And if you haven't already got the picture that archaeologists get a little bit obsessed about their work, try this for size. It had always been a dream since childhood. I'd always been interested in Egypt since I was a little boy. Um, my, you know, my mother reminded me that when I was a kid, I would go to the beach and instead of making sand castles with, you know, just the sort of hill-shaped sand castles, I would be making pyramids. So I would make <laughs> the sand heaps and then I would slice them down into the shape of a pyramid and I would even apparently dig a little channel from the edge of the water to the pyramids, which, which was the Nile. It had always been there. He's been digging up sand since day dot. Now Australian archaeologist Dr Aaron D'Souza is working with Renee Friedman on her Egyptian digs at Hierakompolis. He started out, though, training to be an ancient history teacher, then moved to the fashion industry as a designer, but he just knew that he hadn't found his passion yet. Working in the fashion industry, I would spend every day commuting to work trying to teach myself how to read Egyptian hieroglyphs. <laughs> on the train and thought, well, I'll go and study Egyptology. And two years later, found myself on a field project in Egypt and realised that at that moment, within about a week of being in the field, this, this is where I should have been all along. The graves Aaron is most interested in, in Egypt, are offering up wonderful findings for our story of ancient tattoos too. And my particular interest is this thing called the pangrave culture. And these people were nomads, we will we believe they were nomads who came from the deserts to the east of the Nile and in northeastern Sudan. There's theories that there were soldiers or mercenaries working for the Egyptian rulers. There's theories that there were temple attendants or domestic servants or staff. We don't really know what they did or who they were. And, and I think that's why I like them so much, is that there is so much still to find out about them. Yeah, so tell us about these pieces of skin that have been extracted from this grave. How do you know their skin? <laughs> In some cases, they've still got bone attached, so we know that they're from a human, um, but the, and, and skin, bone and muscle. But you can see when you look at it closely that you can see the pores and, and the hairs and sometimes. So we know that it's, it's human skin. Even more intriguingly is what yes. you and colleagues have found on these scraps of skin. Yes, so we found some tattoos. Tattoos of a, in a design that we can't f fully interpret because they're, they're the way that the skin is preserved, it's sort of crumpled. But it looks like a series of dots that are in a triangular pattern. Repeated triangles, I should say. But just give us a sense then. How, how much skin are we talking about here? Just um, give us a visceral sense of what we're a, looking at. It's a piece about the size of the palm of your hand. So it's, it's not very big, but it has tattoos on it, which is pretty amazing. And how Definitely. old are these patches of skin? Based on all the things that we found associated with them, it's probably a, somewhere between 1,850 to about 1750 BC. Wow. I mean, even a few scraps of skin unleashes yes. massive excitement in you, it, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> it? Well, anything really from this period, and, and because everything there is so ephemeral. So you have this hand-sized patch of human skin, thousands of years old. It's got triangles of dots on it. Yep. What on earth 
Do you do to make meaning of that information, of that symbolism on that patch of skin (laughs) as an archaeologist? That's a very good question. So the first thing we do with anything is we try and find parallels or examples that we can compare it to. And not necessarily in other tattoos, but just in any kind of related material culture. Well, your great passion is ancient pottery from this culture. And I'm wondering, do you see a connection between the two, the art on these ancient samples of skin and the art on the art on ancient ceramics that you've been analysing. It certainly seems that there is some kind of cultural significance to these designs, that it's some kind of signifier of their identity. Because it does occur on, as I said, pottery and female figurines and bodies. And the connection with the female figurines is that we think that the figurines have something to do with fertility. Childbirth was, you know, a, a very dangerous time in the ancient world. And at the Pangrave Cemetery, for example, 50% of the population of that cemetery were infants under the age of one, oh. which suggests infant mortality was incredibly high. So therefore, you want to make sure that when you are trying to reproduce or when you're pregnant or when you're, you've given birth, that the whole process is protected and some kind of, you need some kind of insurance policy to make sure that everything goes well. And these tattoos might be connected to that. Is there a possibility that we're reading too much meaning into a few dots on a scrap of skin? There's always always that risk, hey? (laughs) Always that that risk. And it's part of the fun, but it's also part of the challenge that we, you know, you you, you don't want to read too much into these things, but, you know, you inevitably sometimes get carried away. But we can never presume to know what people 4,000 years ago would were doing or thinking when they did this you know we can we can look at tattoos in you know contemporary culture where people are expressing something about their identity with tattoos but that isn't necessarily the case for ancient ones meanwhile the archaeological discoveries just keep coming i think in the next five years there will be so much new information coming out that it may become impossible to keep up with when you think about the odds that the single mummy that happens to be looked at is going to be the one person from that society that was tattooed, or the single man who fell in the ice 3,200 years ago was the only person in his society that was tattooed. That's, that's crazy, right? We can't abide by that. That's obviously not the case. That says that odds are the society was broadly tattooed. And we're just now finding it. Absolutely. We're just scratching the surface. No pun intended. <laughs> to this point, we've really been limited to what the pictures that they put on pots. And now we're seeing a different range of symbols and pictures that they're putting on their bodies. Um, the pots were mainly for funerary use, so they're reflecting funerary interests, while what they're wearing on their bodies reflects things that were important to them in life. And that we haven't really been able to get in touch with before, because so much of our evidence is from the world of the dead. And thanks to archaeologists Dr Renee Friedman and Aaron Dieter Wolf. Stunning photos. You have to see them on the Science Friction website and check out a written feature too on our homepage with more. abc.net.au slash rn slash science friction. And before I go, I cannot resist including this surprising twist. Have you heard about the weird and wonderful possibility of preserving your own tattoos today? Aaron Dieter Wolf has written about it in his new book, Ancient Ink. Yeah, there is a small community of people today 
who are working to preserve tattoos of deceased individuals. This is something that the individuals select on their own to do, that they decide that their tattoo is such an integral part of who they are and of their self-identity that when they die, they want to preserve that tattoo for their loved one, or in other cases, as a piece of art to be exhibited. I think broadly as a society now, we understand that tattooing is in fact art and that the people that practice it are artists. There are a couple of businesses around the world that are offering services in preserving the tattoos of the dead. And so people that are interested in doing this can make contact with these businesses and set up a set up a trust and a process in which once they die, their skin will be taken, the specific area of their skin will be taken and sent to these businesses very quickly. They will plasticize or preserve the skins and mount them. And then in some cases, these are given directly back to the relations of the people who have died. And in other cases, they're kept in archives, but ultimately belong to the ancestors of the deceased individual. What do you make of all that? I think it's fantastic. You know, my own tattoos is an example, right? Most of my tattoos that that are not related to Otzi the Iceman are related to my family. These are very much things that identify who I am and that track the course of my life. And so if they were to ever express interest in having that piece of me stick around, I would totally be open to the idea. I think that would be a great idea. Archaeologist Dr. Renee Friedman and Aaron Dieter Wolf on the well, the revelations of ancient flesh. Next show, come with me on a quest in search of the missing little creatures, butterflies, bees, beetles, ants. It's a controversial question, but are we in the middle of an apocalypse, an insect apocalypse? Love to hear from you. Email us via the Science Friction website or tweet me at Natasha Mitchell. <laughs> 